This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Um, we are going to do another story time episode. It's been a while since we've... It has that. been, yeah. Yeah, so get your blanket, um, <laughs> a snack, and get some Preferably cozy. sit on a rug. Yes. Yeah, with some friends around in the circle, right. trying not to touch each other. It's story time. <laughs> um, I've had this story coming to mind uh, a lot lately. I think particularly because there have been some shifts in my life away from this, but um, the central fixture of my parents' kitchen was the dishwasher. Not mm. because it like, not because it did a good job, but exactly the opposite. Like it seemed like a really silly thing that we would even put dishes in the thing because often they would come out dirtier than when they went in. Oh, nice. Um, and I know that like resources were not plentiful and um, repairing appliances and all of that it probably wasn't high on the priority list because there were six of us and Mm. lots of things needed but um i've been coming back to this again and again and how that really impacted kind of how i saw problems it was like well we ran them through and the dishwasher's supposed to clean it so i guess this will be good enough close enough yeah and sometimes i even think when um it came to like my turn to unload the dishwasher i'm pretty sure there were times that i was like i don't care if it's clean or dirty like the dishwasher has run and it's going in the cupboard because I'm so frustrated with this and this is not, like, it's not my job to wash it again. I remember a sibling of mine once saying, because we had a dishwasher that was on the fritz, and my sibling was like, well, they may not be coming out clean, but that you know they're sanitized because it gets hot in there. Right. <laughs> right. So that baked on cheese is sanitized at least. <laughs> I would have I would have the same way of thinking about it. And um, I, I look at how that has kind of impacted how I've seen problems historically Mm. is like if there's something that touts itself as a solution and we go through it like that must be better than nothing (laughs) Um, and I think really it would have saved a lot more time and a lot more heartache to just be like our dishwasher doesn't work so either we wash them by hand or let's get a new dishwasher right um yeah so that's my first story coming (laughs) up it's a great one so I was thinking of a story. So I've mentioned before on the podcast that I have um, daughters and most of them play soccer. So this was a couple years ago because um, my daughter number two is in college and she doesn't play soccer anymore, um, at least not competitively. And so her and daughter number three, there's not a lot of um, time between the two of them. There's like 15 months age-wise between the two of them. And their personalities are very different. Um, So the older one, daughter number two, is much more sensitive and compassionate and um, thinks of others often before she thinks of herself. And she's also sandwiched between daughter number one and daughter number three, who are kind of the opposite of that. Like, they can think of other people, but their default is to think of themselves. They tend to have not a problem speaking up for advocating, using their voice, So sometimes daughter number two, her experience has been that she gets lost a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, daughter number four is like a mishmash of all of that. But (laughs) so um, 
daughter number two and number three were doing some training in the off season, which I use with quotation marks because in there soccer really there's isn't. never an yeah. off season, but it was winter. And so we, they were doing like, um, some training with this guy in Salt Lake and it was indoor training and he would just like a people like high school age people, uh, boys and girls. And he'd get a group of like, you know, six or so and put them together and, and do some training. And so I had taken him to do some training. So, and I will also say daughter number two and daughter number three very much play soccer in alignment with their personalities. So daughter number two was very um, accurate and precise. She'd be like surgical. Right. And, and coaches would often say, um, we feel her impact on the game, especially when she's not in the game. Mm. Because she wasn't like this star player, but they were just like, you know, when she's out of the game, like you're like, what just happened? Oh, Sydney's not there, mm. right? So she just really kept things moving, and she was kind of she played in this in the middle, and they were just like she just knows where everything is, and she when she passes the ball, it goes right to where it needs to be, and you know, just very precise. Um, daughter number three, um, she's getting more precise as she's gotten older, but she kind of was this larger than life player, but not real accurate. She's like a Jackson Pollock painting on the soccer <laughs> right. So we would like, if we were playing a game or something, people passing by to get to a different field often would stop to watch her because <laughs> she was like just larger than life. But she also, she also didn't always, she wasn't as, as precise. Um, and so they play according to their personality. So they we're at this training and, you know, I had driven, so I was just going to hang out for the hour and a half and read or whatever. And so I'm sitting in the bleachers and just kind of kind of watching but doing my own thing and and this coach and he was so great or this trainer um and at one point where it was kind of towards the end and it this just had my attention and and they were doing some scrimmaging I think it was like 3 on 3 um scrimmaging with each other and you know and, and daughter number 3 is there and she's always asking for the ball. She doesn't care if they don't pass it to her, but her thing, she's always saying, go me, go me, go me, like, which means pass it to me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm open and I have a shot. And like I said, she doesn't care if they don't pass it to her, but she's always asking for the ball. And daughter number two always is happy to give the ball to somebody and make them look good. And so there were times in which, you know, as they'd be doing something like daughter number two was actually in a position to take the shot, but she would add an extra step and pass it to somebody. They'd take the shot and usually make it a, a couple of times not. But the trainer really started like he would blow the whistle and he would say, stop. And then he'd be like, rewind, let's rewind a couple of plays, get it to here. And he would say, Sydney, that's your shot. Like, and I'm fine when you pass if you don't have the shot, but when it's your shot, you need to take the shot and stop giving it away to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and at this point, as the mom, I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it takes a village, right? And I'm thinking to myself, this is worth every penny I just spent on this training to, because this was such a life lesson for her, um, that, you don't always have to be kind. You don't always have to default and give it to somebody else. It's okay to take your turn. And and he kept running it through. And every time that she passed it rather than take it, 
he would stop the game, they'd rewind, and he would make her take the shot from where she was. And finally, one of the last times, you know, he stopped the thing. It had been like maybe four different times in which she passed rather than taking it. And he stopped and he just like walked over to her and he said, take the damn shot. (laughs) And she just kind of looked at him and said, well, I just feel, and he said, I don't care what you feel. Like, you may be scared. You may be nervous. You step up and you take the damn shot because it's your shot. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I mean, I was almost in tears in the bleachers, right? And I'm just like, this is so beautiful <laughs> as I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking, and to, so for me, that's the story I wanted to share that, yeah, there are times in life where the right move is to hand Mm -hmm. it off to somebody else right Mm -hmm. they're in a better position or whatever that looks like but there are times when it is our moment and we cannot back away from our moment even if we feel nervous or we feel whatever yeah when it's our shot we have to take a deep breath and step into it yeah i love that um and I, I can really relate to that, like having to learn when it's my shot mm-hmm. and stepping up to that. Um, I was thinking about a blog post I wrote a long time ago. I used to have a blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't anymore. I'm kind of embarrassed <laughs> about it now. Now we have a podcast. Now we have a podcast. <laughs> um, there were, I, I feel like there were some good stories. And, and one of the, I came across one of these old posts. Because that's what it was called, right? Stories that matter or something good like that? Good stories matter. Good stories like matter. That. Okay. Don't go search for it. I've taken it down. Um <laughs> But uh, I wrote one post about, this is probably when my oldest was maybe two or three. And um, he was really into the, like, kiss it better mm. thing. And especially after we talked to Honor Ashbaugh a few yeah, episodes yeah, yeah. back. And kind of that whole idea, if there's suffering we can alleviate now, even if it's symptomatic. Uh-huh. Like, let's alleviate that suffering. Right. Um, and so I was reading in that post, and, and I had written about how, um, whether or not that actually cures the hurt or whether or not there's actually a hurt there. Um, when he was asking me or my wife or a grandparent to kiss it better, what he mm. was saying is, can you see that I'm distressed mm. and can you join me here? Um, and I think there's a lot that we um, face in recovery that can feel like, is this a big enough deal to get some help? Uh-huh. Um, or am I really, am I really hurting? Like I think I'm hurting. Yeah. Um, And I think we can spend a lot of time trying to evaluate whether or not it's the right thing to do to ask for help instead of recognizing maybe we need somebody to see us. Uh Maybe we need somebody to feel us. Uh And even if it doesn't end up solving any of the problem or getting to the root of anything, just that feeling of being able to say, hey, could you kiss this better? Or could you you come here and sit with me? Um, I think that goes a long way in making things feel better now Uh Um, maybe even giving us some breathing room so that we can get a grip on what really is hurting us and what really is upsetting us is asking for that help and that relief when we need it yeah that makes me think this past weekend I was shopping with my husband just like grocery shopping and we you know when our kids were young um he would always be like they don't need a band-aid and I would say look band-aids really are not that expensive and they think it makes it better yeah and so I don't care. Like, cause he would be like, well, it's not bleeding. You don't need a bandaid. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like just yeah. let me use the bandaid. Right. So this last weekend I had noticed that we were low on band-aids. And so I was picking some up. It's on my list. And I was picking some up at the store and I was grabbing them. And, and my husband said, 
you realize that our youngest is almost 15 and you're buying Mickey Mouse and Elsa band-aids, right? And I said, they still make you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) It really doesn't matter how old you are. Like, you always feel better with a Mickey Mouse (laughs) band-aid. Well, we'd we'd had a discussion. My youngest, who's, he just turned five. I think he's at the end of his, I need a band-aid for that Mm -hmm. phase. Although this morning when I woke up, I got home from work late last night, so I didn't see him before they went to bed. I, I wake up and I'm getting out of the shower and he's outside the bathroom door and he has like this big gauze pad taped to his <laughs> arm. And I was like, what happened? And he's like, I got scratched really bad. <laughs> um, but a couple weeks ago, we were having a discussion because we have in our bathroom cabinet, there are so many band-aids mm. um, because he uses a lot of them. And... Uh, we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago about, should we just give him his own pack that he can have in his room? And we came to the conclusion that no, like we should have the band-aids mm-hmm. and they should be in the cabinet because that's part of what makes it feel better. It's not just that a band-aid gets slapped on it. It's that you go to somebody and you say, I need a band-aid. Um, and I even think maybe I like to think this because I don't want to think I'm screwing my kids up when I look at it and I'm like, I don't see anything mm-hmm. or, I wonder where that's hurting. I even think some of that process when they're able to say, no, it hurts and it's right there and that's where I need it. And there's that, okay, let's do that. Right, right. Um, I think having, giving him the band-aids and putting those in his room, that would defeat the whole purpose of what I think he's actually using that for. Right. And what that actually means is this He wants you to know that he needs a band-aid. Yeah, it's this ritual of how we connect and this ritual of how he lets us know that he's in pain and that Uh he wants some attention. Yeah. And sometimes that's very hard to ask for directly, especially when you're five. Yeah. And maybe when you're 40, too. Right. Um, <laughs> that can be very hard to ask for directly. Yeah. So along those lines of, like, physical issues, um, I was sharing this story the other day with a client. And I will talk about vomit, but nothing graphic or gross. So if you have we a gag w- reflex, don't worry. We'll release a premium edition <laughs> of this episode where Jackie does talk about it in detail if you want that. <laughs> So when I was growing up, we all, there, like I said, there were six kids in my family. And all of us knew that, like, our mom did not have a high tolerance for cleaning up vomit. Mm. And most of my, all of my brothers have this really sensitive gag-ish. Like, if they smell it, like, it's coming up for them, too. And, uh, and that was how my mom was. And so um, she would often say to us, and... And I've, I've did, done the same thing with my kids, although I think I was a little more uh, soft about it. But when we'd hit a certain age, and it wasn't like old, it was like five, right? When you could go to kindergarten, you could get to the bathroom. Hmm. And she and we had a throw-up bowl. I think most families do. Yeah. But it's the secret that families don't like put out, <laughs> right? Here's our vomit bowl. Um, I'm going to make those and market that. I bet it looks so well. <laughs> Sell it on eBay or Etsy, right? <laughs> the vomit bowl. Shop. <laughs> um, and so, she, you know, she would say, like, and, and she ha- would have this conversation with us. Like, you're old enough now to either make it to the toilet or know that you need the throw-up bowl. Mm-hmm. And if you can't make it to the toilet or you don't get the throw-up bowl and you throw up, you will be cleaning it up. And there was more than one of us as kids who had to clean it up well, yeah, right there's a learning so you're sick you've just thrown up and now you're sitting and cleaning up the vomit right and and I did a, a little bit softer with my kids and just talked about like this is part of growing up right and taking responsibility for some things and it's not okay to just 
vomit all over your bed or Mm -hmm. vomit just on the floor as you're standing up because you waited too long. Like it's part of growing up to learn, like I've got a plan for this Mm -hmm. or I'm feeling like it might happen. I need to move into Mm -hmm. the bathroom. So I was talking with a client and we were talking about being a functional mature adult and we were talking about authenticity and and you, I know you've had clients before where you've had to have this conversation where it's kind of this, like authenticity is not um, like just vomiting on people yeah. and saying, well, that's what I felt. So I'm mm-hmm. being authentic. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of walking away, like you get to deal with that because I'm, hey, I'm practicing authenticity, right? That's not what that is like. And so that's where I was sharing that story with that client that's like, you know, if you if you throw up and vomit, like you have to have some responsibility about that. You can't just be like, oh, that's stinky. Can you please clean that up? Like, that's how I was feeling. Um, and so, again, that that authenticity often comes with some responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. And it's not just simply this vomiting on another person. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a vomit story, too. Oh, good. <laughs> and I won't share. I Little won't did we know it was going to be a vomit story episode. Have I told you this before? I actually really love throw-up stories. <laughs> oh. <No. laughs> um, I think they're so embarrassing and so funny. <laughs> Um, but this isn't embarrassing or funny. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but uh, when my when my wife was pregnant with our two kids, she'd have morning sickness for mm-hmm. like seven months, 24 hours a day. It was really fun. Um, and I remember during the first pregnancy, we actually got trapped at her parents' house for a month because we made the mistake of going there, her thinking that she felt well enough. Mm-hmm. And she didn't feel brave enough to get in a car and go back home for like oh, wow. a month. Oh, wow. Um yeah, it was, it was bad. So she, she commented to me pretty soon into this cause she was throwing up a lot. She said, wow, you're really good with that. Like I thought that would make you sick. And I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like you're, you're sick and I want to be here for you. And, um, like I'm, I'm happy to clean up. Fortunately, she did have that adult skill and she could get to the bowl, you know? Um, and so but there came a point as this went on longer and longer, I was expecting morning sickness was like a month, two months. Well, for some it is. Three months, right? <laughs> right? And I was, I think I woke up every day. It was like that Stockdale paradox. I woke up every day forgetting how bad it had gotten. <laughs> and my vision of how, of what it was going to look like when it was, what it was going to look like when it got better was like, it's going to get better today. Right. Like, boom. Yeah. So probably. <laughs> Bam, over. Probably like two and a half, three months in, I was at a breaking point. Mm. Um, like when she would throw up, I would cry or I would get mad. Mm-hmm. Um, not at her, but I was just like, why isn't this ending? Um, and it seemed like at the tail end of the morning sickness phase, um, there's probably three or four times where her vomiting made me sick. Uh. Um, and she said, you almost like when, when she was not sick anymore and, and feeling well, she would say to me like, you almost made it. Like you almost did this. Um, and as, as I'm looking back on it now, I think there was an emotional threshold where I physically couldn't deal with that Uh. anymore. Um, so as, as you're talking about like that functional adult skill and just vomiting all over everybody is not authenticity and you need to take care Uh of yourself. I think there are some situations where that's going to happen Mm -hmm. even with people's best intentions. And, um, I think again, it's important for us as, people who are there to take care of or there to help to recognize when we've reached our threshold. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
sometimes the loving thing is to not sit there and start this vomit circle where neither of us can stop because we're mm-hmm. making each other mm-hmm. sick. But sometimes the loving thing is to excuse ourselves. Right. Um, sometimes the loving thing is to say, I can't keep helping you in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to take a break. Um, but it, I, I know for me, like I felt really guilty when that, when I got to that point with my wife, cause it was like, I been doing this for you and, Right. I know that you can't get up and take care of this. And sometimes there was a bowl that sat for a while because neither of us yeah. could do it. Um, but I, I think when it comes to helping people, especially in a recovery um, way, um, sometimes the timing or, or the timeline is not so urgent that everything has to be cleaned up right away. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can take some time and we can take some space mm-hmm. and, really be in a place where we can do that solidly instead of just barely getting by. Well, and that reminds me, I think just kind of piggybacking on the pregnancy. I I think it is this, as you were talking about in that story, being able to hold two perspectives, Mm -hmm. right? So when I was pregnant with my first baby, um, I remember we were taking the birthing classes and we were maybe... Uh, five weeks out. I know we were like six weeks out when we started our birthing classes. And then she came four weeks early. So we actually only got to two of them. But our first night at the birthing class, we're at the hospital and um, we're like, they had a newborn, like hours old, right in the nursery. And my husband and I were both standing there, like looking at this newborn Right. And it's this moment, like both of us are like gazing at this newborn, knowing what we're about to have one. And I, my husband was the first one to talk and he just said, oh my gosh, that is the tiniest thing I've ever Mm. seen. I always forget how tiny they are. Yeah. And I'm standing there with a baby inside me knowing that has to come out. And I was like, that is the biggest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It was just this. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's so tiny. And I'm looking at him like, yeah, depending on who you are, like, (laughs) doesn't look tiny to me. Um, And then after I had my first baby and, you know, the first birth is often pretty laborious Mm -hmm. and long and hard. And I was in labor forever and she got stuck. And anyway, she finally was born and it was like, yay. And my husband came over to me and was like, oh my gosh, that was like the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't know if I can do that again. And I You? (laughs) Right. That was my... And I just looked at him like, what did you do? (laughs) What exactly? Oh, yeah, man, you did so amazing. But again, I I fortunately was learning to like hold my witty tongue and think before I just let it come out and vomited on him. And I was just kind of like, yeah, what was hard for you about that? Right. And it was actually a really tender moment for him to talk about how difficult it was for him to stand back and watch me go through something Mm -hmm. and to feel this, like, I love this baby. My wife is hurting. Oh my gosh, this. And, and it was actually like, like I said, it was a very tender moment that I was just like, Oh, I appreciate that. Right. And, and could appreciate the toll that it took on him. Even though my first response was like, uh, you literally had the easy job. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, again, keeping both perspectives and saying, like, yeah, it may be, like, with your story, your wife was the one sick, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it didn't impact you. 
Well, and, and even in the relationship space, I, I think when we can take that perspective and we can hear about how hard it was, I remember having those conversations with my wife after our first and second were born. And I remember feeling her listening to me talking about what was hard for me in that process. And that brought us closer together mm-hmm. at the same time that I listened to what was hard for her right. in that process. There didn't have to be a narrative that won out or, right. that or was, a competition, like yeah. one upping each other. Yeah. And it actually felt to me like listening to her experience and her listening to mine, like we both had a fuller experience that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll pause story time here. Snack time is next. <laughs> and then you'll have recess. And then it'll be time to go home. And then nap. And then nap. (laughs) So thank you for listening. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it is finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.